You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Ah, well done, you guys. Uh, I just want to give God glory for that. There was a great uh, worship set, Mike and team. Thanks, you guys, this morning. Uh, just the presence of the Lord is here uh, today. And uh, when, you, when you encounter God, when you encounter Jesus uh, firsthand, you're not going to be the same afterwards. And so his promise is that whenever two or three of us or more are gathered together in his name, and we're gathered together in the name of Jesus today. We're not gathered in the name of Westside or a person uh, other than Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so uh, it's wonderful that we can come together as the body of Christ, as the family of God, encounter him, hear his word, and go home changed more into the image of Christ. Uh, a couple years ago, I just felt uh, in God that, you know, uh, many of us have been to a retreat or a certain sermon or a service over the years, and our life was radically changed. Uh, but most weeks are not like that. Most weeks are little by little, little line by line, and as we grow in Him. But um, I just felt the Lord say that every week, somebody in here, maybe a few, their life is radically changed, and they'll never be the same again. And so if you're in that place, if you're down in the valley, <laughs> when waters rise... Uh, I encourage you to uh, look to Jesus. He will uh, meet you where, where you're at and, and pull you out. And so uh, if you haven't, place your faith in him and put your trust in him today. Amen? Amen. We're on a, a series uh, about uh, the kind of church that Jesus has in mind. But I just want to uh, talk about our Easter service coming up in two weeks, just for a moment. Um, if, do, do you guys know which way the Easter service is? <laughs> Anybody know? Show me where the Easter service is. All right. Where is it now? Okay, no, there we go. So when you arrive at uh, the fairgrounds on Easter morning and you go through those side gates, the front gate won't, won't be open, but around the side by Rayleigh's over there, the, that main gate there that you can drive through, uh, you'll be met with people uh, with these kind of signs pointing you to parking, and you come into the largest uh, uh, hall there that we have rented, and uh, you will uh, first you'll see a bunch of friendly faces, and you'll see a bunch of tables. We have a whole bunch of our ministries are going to have little displays, like a little ministry fair uh, as you walk in. And um, we were there uh, at the uh, fairgrounds on Thursday, uh, doing our final walkthrough, and something very uh, interesting happened. Uh, last Sunday night, I had a dream, and I usually don't remember my dreams. I don't know how you are, but I have these great dreams, and while I'm having the dream, I go, this is a great dream, and then I can't remember what it was. And uh, so, but this time I remembered my dream, and so I came, I told Terry, and then, by the way, she's in Houston doing grandma duties uh, for two weeks, and she misses everybody. Um, I told Terry, and then I told Tyler on Tuesday morning when we had our meeting on Tuesday morning, and I said, you know, I had this dream, and uh, it was Easter morning at the fairgrounds, and uh, the service was ready to start, and I realized I hadn't prepared my sermon, and I didn't have any notes. (laughs) 
So I remember that one. And then I realized, I realized that I didn't bring a shirt. I usually bring a button down and change right before the service because, you know, I always wear shorts. And, and uh, I realized I didn't bring anything to change into. And then, so I think I was looking for Terry, but I, I went around the corner and there was this long row of tables of ministries of our church. But it was like really fancy like a convention. You'd, if you've ever been to a nice convention, you see all the booths, you know, where they're trying to sell stuff. But all the colors were the same all the way down. There was blue and yellow curtains, you know, all the way down uh, this long straight row. So we went Thursday morning uh, there, and on the plan, on the little plan we have, you know, there's a lot of work going into this. Sound gear and projection gear and and, uh, you know, set up and the children's ministry across the way and the pancake breakfast after. There's a lot of stuff being planned for it. And so uh, we had an L-shaped uh, group of tables off to the corner. Um, if you've ever been to that building, uh, what's the name of that building? Forney Building, the large, large building. You walk in those glass doors and on the right-hand side is the women's bathrooms. On the left-hand is the men's bathroom. Well, over toward the right-hand side, we're going to have an L-shaped group of tables. And so this Thursday, we decided to make a change, and we decided to rent some of their pipe and draping. You know, it's those real lightweight pipes with the, the drapes that come down. And my son had those in his early church. They were in a big gymnasium, and it kind of makes the room smaller because we're going to have 600 chairs set up and we did, that will kind of get lost in that huge room. So we want to put these, you know, these black drapes around and t- kind of give walls to the place where we're going to sit. And so we decided to uh, rent those, and we were talking to the guy about it. And then some of our ladies that were there, uh, Kathy and Kim and some of the others, I said, the, the L-shaped tables won't fit there anymore. So why don't you just put them again? We're going to put these black curtains down here all the way down this long row. Why don't you just put the tables all the way down there? And the guy that works at the fair said, oh, they're not black, they're blue. Uh, these long curtains, and you're going to have this long uh, ministry fair down here. And he goes, in the, and the curtains we have in front of the tables and around, th- those are yellow. So, pray for me. <laughs> Bring a shirt and make sure I preach, because God got every, has everything else under control. So I'm, I'm glad that I told uh, Tyler that ahead, because I don't think anybody would have believed me. Um, so anyway, that's, I'm looking forward to the fair uh, Easter morning. And not just because it's going to be fun, because it is. And not just because we're going to celebrate Easter, because we will. Uh, because I believe that God told us to do this. And I believe that we as West Side are ready to take our next step in Him, whatever that is. We don't know what that looks like yet. But it's going to require people who are sold out to Jesus. It's going to require people that, uh, that put their own agenda down and choose to live for His agenda, choose to serve Him. So I want to encourage you, invite your friends. Uh, this is what we normally do on Easter anyway. People are more likely to come out on Christmas and Easter. We know that. But they're going to hear the gospel and uh, I pray that people will come and their lives will be changed. And so with that, don't forget that the elders have called this church to prayer and fasting between now and Easter. Uh, pick one day. It's not going to be organized on a chart, but you pick one day and uh, spend some time, extra time in prayer uh, for this time that people will hear about Jesus, that the gospel will be preached clearly, uh, that the administrative details will take place, that the kids' ministry will go wonderfully. All, all the things... 
all the aspects uh, of that service. Will you do that? Uh, and then bring some friends along and take some of these little invites. Uh, we've got a ton of these. Just give them to, to a few friends and, and invite them out. All right? So that's Easter coming up. So the kind of church Jesus has in mind in the, in the New Testament, Jesus went up in the clouds and... Um, and, he's, and, and the angel said that he's going to come back, just like he went. And we're all going to see that. And um, Jesus didn't give us a plan on how to start churches. He just said, the things you've seen me do, you go do. And so the apostles, the 12 apostles and the early disciples... They started meeting together like they had been, and they prayed together like they had been, and they had unity of hearts, and, and some amazing things took place. And so we call ourselves a New Testament church, and so that means we want to look at the New Testament and see what was this church? How did they turn the world upside down in, in 100 years? How did, they, how did they take it from 12 to 400 to 3,000 to, to the evangelizing the whole new world in, in one century? How did they do that? And so this is the kind of church that Jesus had in mind, the kind of church that did make a difference. And so this is what we're talking about for a couple weeks past. We did one, one a week, and uh, so now we're going to do the rest of the 11 more in the, in the next two weeks. Uh, but I spoke on the Holy Spirit a couple weeks ago, and Jesus said that you're going to receive power that the Holy Spirit will give you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And then last week, Terry spoke about the necessity for good, healthy Christian fellowship. And it's not just a cliche that we're friends. This is a foundational cornerstone value of Westside Church that we put friendship before function. I want us to be friends before we work together and just get all organized and administrative. We need to be friends. And then after that season of administration and working together is over, we're still going to be friends. We want to be friends before function, during function, and after function. Just because you're not working in a ministry anymore doesn't mean that we don't have friendship. It is a big deal. And so we're going to fight for friendship in this church. We're going to fight for strong, healthy relationships. We're going to live out the Matthew 18 principle where if we're offended, we go to them alone, privately. Keep the circle small and deal with it. If not, take a trusted friend, a mature friend, not somebody on your side, uh, but a mature friend with you with a spirit of reconciliation and, and make sure that uh, relationships are strong. We're going to live and walk in forgiveness. We're going to be offended, but we're going to walk in forgiveness. And so if you didn't listen to either one of those two or you missed one of them, uh, please uh, go to our website. We now have a Westside app. You can get an app, app. There's an app for that. There's a Westside Church app. Uh, or you can go to our website, which is really mobile-friendly now, and uh, listen to these sermons. So today we're going to continue on the kind of church that Jesus has in mind. And um, let's look in Acts chapter 2. Starting in verse 42, this is a familiar passage, but I want it to really get inside of us. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. I love the rustle of papers, pages turning when people bring their Bibles. It's really hard to do it on, a, on an iPad. You can't. Maybe they can have a sound effect that goes with it. They have that, like that... You know, they have the, the graphic one. Uh, but you are obligated 
to check out what's up here uh, and not just to just receive it without, you know, searching the scriptures yourself uh, like the Bereans were commended for. So how many is all? Yeah. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, and to fellowship, and to prayer. That's what they did. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all of the believers, how many met together? All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Now I want to talk about this. This is a pattern we see in in the Scripture. This thing about selling all your stuff and giving it to the poor, that's descriptive, not prescriptive. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible that is descriptive. It describes what they did. It doesn't prescribe that you must do this also. So we have to be very careful and use the Holy Spirit's wisdom and discernment as to which is prescriptive and which is descriptive. And so for that time and place, God called them to do that. There may be a time and place when God calls us to do that. And so we will hear the voice of God and we'll know that that that's uh, for us. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in their homes. So we see the example here of worshiping together and then meeting in homes. Um, That's why we have these things uh, here at Westside. For the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. They even had a good reputation in the community. Each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And so that's a great snapshot, a great picture of the early church. And so that's why it's, it's one of our key scriptures here for what we do. There's a new graphic back in the Welcome Center about what's my next step. If you're here at Westside and you've been here very long, take a look there and see wh- where am I on that graphic. Am I a fully functioning member of the body here, or am I somewhere in between? And if I am somewhere in between, what's my next step? What do I need to be doing? So I encourage you to take a look at that uh, sometime. Now, it says here that the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That's out of the New Living Translation, and I, I like the New Living Translation. It's a d- dynamic translation. That means it's translated thought for thought. There's other translations which are static translations out of the original Greek, uh, which are translated word for word. So the King James, the New King James, the English Standard Version, uh, New American Standard uh, Bible, those are good word for word translations. They're very accurate word for word translations. Uh, The NIV and the NLT, those are good readability translations, not quite as accurate in the word for word translations, but the ideas are there. You can certainly grow in God and uh, and get some good theology out of those. But that word fellowship there in the New Living Translation, the Lord added to their fellowship, that word is not the word koinonia, which is the translation for fellowship. So the King James says they were added to the church. The English Standard Version and the New American Standard Bible say added to their number. And so that's a little more accurate. So that word fellowship, sometimes we use the word, uh, you know, I just enjoy our fellowship as if it's a thing. Um, Fellowship is a verb that we do together. It's coining it's active, it's engaging, it's uh, uh, a strong spiritual uh, connection and interaction. So number three, th- these are the, 
the kinds of things that Jesus had in mind for church. Number three, there were constant salvations. Acts 2.47, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I want to tell you, around the world, day by day, people are being saved. Maybe not in this church, day by day. But it's getting close to that. We're constantly here of people uh, getting saved. And not necessarily in here, but out there when, with our connections. People that we've been engaging and people that we've been uh, praying for. But it seems like our, our uh, evangelistic fervor, at least it seems that way to me. When I was a kid, that's all we ever talked about was witnessing and getting people saved and telling them about Jesus. Uh, there was a strong evangelistic appeal. And so I read an article this week. It said 15 reasons our churches are less evangelistic today. They did a huge survey. And here's some reasons why churches are less evangelistic today. And just kind of listen to it. You don't have to write, you can't write these down. I'm going too fast. But just kind of get uh, the idea of what it's talking about. Number one, Christians have no sense of urgency to reach the lost people anymore. Number two, many Christians and church members do not befriend and spend time with lost people. How many of us have gotten rid of all our unsaved friends and the only friends we have, the only contacts we have are saved? That's what that's talking about. Many Christians and church members are lazy and apathetic. It's not talking about West Side. This was just an article. All right. We are known more for what we are against than what we are for. When you talk to people about Jesus, don't talk so much about what we're against. Talk about what we're for and who we're for. And out there, the church is known for being against everything. And that shouldn't be said of Westside or of you. Um, Number five, our churches have an ineffective evangelistic strategy of you come rather than we go. And so um, here at Westside, we say actually we have both of those. There's a come and see, come and see. So you can invite your friends, say, come and see what Jesus is doing. Uh, That's all through the scripture. The woman at the well said, come and see what Jesus has done. And there's also go and tell. So it's not one or the other, it's both. So invite people to church, but that's not the only evangelism. Uh, We also tell and display his love and generosity to people. Um, Many church members think that evangelism is the role of the pastor and the paid staff. Number eight, church members are in a retreat mode as culture becomes more worldly and unbiblical. And uh, we grab hold of our kids and we tremble in fear at what's happening out there. And instead of preparing our kids to be leaders in 2040, instead of 1940, all right? We're not going back to 1940. We're moving forward. Time is going forward. Prepare your kids to be effective then. And so... um, Many church members don't really believe that Christ is the only way of salvation. Number 10, our churches are no longer houses of prayer equipped to reach the lost. Number 11, churches have lost their focus on making disciples. Number 12, Christians do not want to share the truth of the gospel for fear they will offend others. Uh, Political correctness run amok. Uh, Number 13, churches have unregenerate members who have not received Christ themselves. Number 14, some churches have theological systems that do not encourage evangelism. It's very unfortunate. Number 15, our churches have too many activities. They are too busy to do things that really matter. And so um, 
That's a sad description of evangelism in America today, based on a survey of thousands of people. Here's what I say. When Jesus spoke to his disciples in Matthew 24, when they asked him, what are the signs of the end times? He began to list off a bunch of things. He said there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be earthquakes and famines and pestilence. You know what the very last one was at the end of his list? He said this in Matthew uh, 24, 12. He said, Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. My prayer is that that won't take place in the church. That our love will not grow cold. But our love for the world, as God had love for the world, would remain at the pinnacle, at the forefront. That's the reason we're still here. If that's not, if, if there is no lost here, Jesus would take us home. You'd say, yes, Lord, I received Jesus. Poof, you're gone. Like, oh, there's another one saved. And then how do we tell others? But Jesus left us here to tell people, other people about him. So my prayer is let a love for the lost overwhelm you. Ask God to give you his heart. When Jesus was on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He wasn't just talking about those Roman soldiers. He was talking about me. He's talking about you. Father, forgive them. His heart was for us while he was suffering for us. Number four, the sign in the early church, uh, kinds of things that uh, were effective in the early church were immediate water baptisms. Acts 2.41, And those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day, about 3,000 souls. They were added that day, about 3,000 souls. They cried out from, from the audience while Peter was preaching from the, from the balcony, and they said, What must we do to be saved? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. For the remission of sin, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so, it just, it floors me, and there's no condemnation here, but, there's, but it floors me that people say, yes, Lord, I want to follow you. I lay down my life. I want to obey you. I want to be your, your disciple. I want to follow you. I want to serve you the rest of my life. And what's the first thing you're asking me to do? Get baptized? And uh, now nah, I don't want to do that. What, let's go on to the next point. We got to get baptized. And if you don't understand it fully, then ask somebody about it and, and get at least a basic understanding. Understanding. I don't understand baptism fully. I'm sure you could write encyclopedias about baptism, the depths of it. But at, at its basic uh, level, baptism is, number one, it's obedience. He told us to get baptized. And number two, it's identifying with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. You leave the old man down there. My old pastor, Jesse, used to uh, tell people, Bring a, go get a rock when you get baptized. And that rock is the thing that you, that your baggage, that you're just sick and tired of holding on to. And when you go under, you leave that there. And that's your old man. You leave that there and you rise and you walk free. Water baptism. There's nothing wrong with wanting to get baptized in the Jordan River. 
or, or there's nothing wrong with having Uncle Alex, you know, who's been a missionary, baptize you up at the lake. There's nothing wrong with that, but get baptized and then do that when you have a chance because we are commanded to be baptized. Next, we, we do baptisms here the first Sunday of every month, and all you got to do is sign up at the Welcome Center, and one of our pastors will talk to you, Randy, usually, is right there, and... Uh, if you have any questions about it, and uh, we'll make sure that you get uh, baptized. We love to see families get baptized. If it's a family, we usually baptize the father first, and then have him assist us in baptizing the rest of the family. It's a beautiful thing. It's a public declaration, a public declaration that you are following Christ. For example, if you're in Iran, and you live in a, a nation like Iran, Tara and I met a couple. I have my picture of them in uh, my office, a young couple. They fled Iran because they became Christians, and it was their family's duty to kill them. So they fled Iran. So if you accept Christ in the Islam country, for example, um, they don't care much. But if you get baptized, then they care. Because baptism is a symbol. It's a public declaration of what took place in here. We can't see in here. We don't know what happened in there. But when you stand up and say, I am following Christ, and I am saying it to the world. Sometimes people say, can I get baptized? I'm really embarrassed. I don't really want anybody there. And we say, no. It's a public declaration. The public is invited. Because you're declaring to the world, this is the line that I've gone over, and I'm serving Jesus now. All right, that's what water baptism is. It is a big deal. Uh, Number six, corporate prayer. Jesus spoke to us about um, going into our closet and praying, getting alone, getting on your face before God, and we need to do that. Uh, But there's also lots of examples in Scripture about the church coming together and praying. Now, this word corporate prayer, I don't really like the word corporate because it sounds corporate, all right? It doesn't sound family-like. So we call ours, we used to call it corporate prayer, and now we call it all-church prayer. It's the same thing. It's when we come together, together to pray. There's things that take place when we pray together. First of all, there's power in agreement. When two of you agree on anything, Jesus said. So there's this power, this wonderful power of agreement. The next thing that takes place is we are warring in the heavenlies for this region and fighting on the behalf of people around the world because we pray outward. We pray for uh, apostolic team guys. We pray this month for a couple that's going up into Indonesia where it's very dangerous. Uh, where they're going, uh, Rudy and Wendy Furlong, and we prayed for them, and we show their picture, and we pray together for this region. We pray for the people that you said you would pray for, and it's a big deal to come together and pray. And so, here's a few verses in Scripture of those examples that I said. There's many of Acts one fourteen. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women and the brothers of Jesus. And soon after that, the Holy Spirit fell on them because they were united. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Chapter 4, verse 31. After this prayer, they met together and prayed. The meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. I'm waiting for the time our prayer meeting ends with a building like this. And you don't want to miss it if it happens. Because there was 120 in the upper room, right? 
How many were on the mountain when Jesus left? There was 400 there. And Jesus said, wait for the Holy Spirit. And then yet only 10 days later, there was only 120. The other 280 missed the falling of the Holy Spirit and the tongues of fire and the wind rushing through. All right? And if that stuff scares you, it should because it's an encounter with the manifest presence of Almighty God. And I, I would be trembling. I'd be on my face if that happened, but I'd still, it'd be great to see. Right? And we're not seeking the signs. We're seeking the giver of the signs, and he can do whatever signs he wants or doesn't want to give. We're still going to seek him in obedience and because we love him. Um, Acts 4, 23 and 24. Peter and John had been arrested, and as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to other believers, told them what the leading priests and elders said. When they heard the report, all the believers, how many? All the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God, O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven, of earth, the sea, and everything in them. 2 Corinthians 1, 9 through 11. This is Paul giving an account of his life. In fact, we expected to die, but as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. And you are helping us by praying for us. Paul the apostolic translocal guy of the day that helped plant the church in Corinth, he said, you are helping us in our ministry by praying for us. And so when we come together as a church and pray, we're helping ministries, we're, we're owning it. We're part of the ownership of the endeavors that God is doing around the world. Then many people will give thanks. That's a result because God has graciously, graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. So, all church prayer. It's not just another meeting. It's a pattern that we see in the New Testament. Number six, true discipleship. True discipleship. Now, true discipleship is not just a manual of theology or a nine-week class, even though I'm teaching a class on discipleship this next Bible school. I'm looking forward to that. It's on basic discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple? Disciple, what is that? Am I one? How can I be one? You know, and it's, it's that kind of thing for those who want to grow in the Lord. Uh, but discipleship, true discipleship, is something that costs us everything. I'm reminded of a conversation I had with uh, Rob King, who goes to this church, a uh, wonderful man who loves Jesus. And he said, when I, he's one of those skeptical kind of guys. When I first came to Jesus, I gave him my heart. I finally gave him my, my heart. I said, yes, I want to follow you. I'm gonna, uh, I want you to forgive my sin and come into my life. And, um, and so... He said, I realized afterwards that they said salvation was free. He goes, but it's really not free. And I said, I understand what you mean. Our, our forgiveness and our new life is free for us. It costs Jesus a lot. Cost him everything. For you to say yes to Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins and rose again. For you to say that, it's free for you, but it cost him a lot. All right? So it costs Jesus a lot. And then after we become his disciple and follow him, it costs us how much? Everything. 
Rob goes, I finally realized it. I can just become a Christian and love Jesus, but if I truly want to follow him, I got to do what he said. This is what Jesus said. If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. In other words, we die, we're carrying our cross, you're dead man walking, there's no appeal, no reprieve. We've chosen to follow Jesus, to take up our cross. And and Paul said in uh, Romans 12, he said, I beseech you, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. We are to present our bodies a living sacrifice. So we're living for Jesus as a sacrifice. Now, here's the thing about a sacrifice. You put a, a sheep and you kill it and put it on the altar like they did in the Old Testament times. To, and, you know, um, by analogy, take your sins or the sins of the nation. And, and there has to be payment for that. That's a sacrifice. That was the picture looking forward to Jesus, the final sacrifice. But... Um, you take that sheep and put it on the altar and, and light the flame underneath it, and the sheep is dead. It doesn't feel the flames. But we're called to be on that altar and to stay alive. I'll tell you what. It gets hot on the altar sometimes serving Jesus. It's not easy. You have to put down your pride. You have to lay down your own agenda to serve Jesus wholeheartedly and fully. And so this is the kind of church Jesus has in mind with a whole bunch of people sold out for him. And it's not just something that they do on Sunday and then go live the rest of their life. But Jesus is the center. He's the center. And out of that, everything flows. We like to cut our life into pictures of the pie. And here's our work. And here's, here's our family. And here's our recreation. And here's, here's, here's the church. And you know here's the, all these things. That's our life. But actually... Jesus doesn't want a piece, piece of the pie. He wants the whole pie. He wants all of us. He wants to be the center. And out of our relationship with him flows our relationship with our family and our workplace and our neighborhood and those kind of things. That's discipleship. Verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 33 said, So you cannot be my disciple without giving up everything you own. And chapter 9, verse 62, Jesus told him, Anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. So as disciples, we're constantly looking forward, keeping Jesus, uh, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And number seven, I'm going to uh, end with this one today. Uh, this one puts a little pressure on me. And I'm putting some pressure on the elders here. A sign of the early church a sign of the early church is anointed preaching. Anointed preaching. So that means preaching by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to apply this to you in just a minute, all right? So don't be thinking too much of, of here. But I want to tell you that when the Word of God is being preached... An eloquent speaker with a great vocabulary can get, get a, a moving a sermon. I heard once of a, I don't know how it came about, a contest of sorts, but they took this great Shakespearean actor 
and, and they said, read to the best of your ability, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. And he read through it eloquently. And people were moved by it. And then they gave the, the Bible, Psalm 23, to an old country preacher who knew the shepherd. And he shared it. There wasn't a dry eye in the place. Because this person knew about the shepherd, but this one knew the shepherd. There's a big difference. So when we preach, it's not just knowledge about the Bible. It's imparting the one who wrote the Bible. That puts pressure on me. It puts pressure on the elders. They can't get up here and represent themselves. They have to represent God. Here's an example we see in Acts chapter 4. I would love to have been a fly on the wall in this room. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. They brought the two disciples and demanded... By what power or in whose name have you done this? They were preaching in the temple. Or no, actually they raised the guy. Uh, um, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I'll give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. So this guy is going around. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, this is anointed preaching coming, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is no salvation in no one else. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. So when you're telling your friends about Jesus, are you talking about Jesus because you've heard about him or because you have been with Jesus. You know Him. My prayer is that when we leave those doors and go out into the mission field, that we will represent Him not in our own strength, but in the strength that the power of the Holy Spirit provides us. John Wesley, the great preacher, said, 
when I prepare, the Holy Spirit activates a light in me. And when I preach, people come to watch me burn. I love that. Part of the great revival. So, this is not just interesting teaching about the early church. This is a challenge to us. Are you seeing constant salvations in your life? Maybe you're not the one that leads them through the sinner's prayer, so to speak, but are you the one that waters? Are you the one that cultivates? Are you the one that sows seeds? Because we're all part of the process. Have you been baptized? Get baptized. What's your take on corporate prayer? Coming together and praying together. Yes, we pray together in our small groups. Yes, we pray together at every meeting, so to speak, but... The elders of this church, if you're part of Westside, we've called the whole church to come together and pray on the first Wednesday of the month. Because that's the pattern we see in Scripture. Do you understand what true discipleship is? Understanding discipleship has to do with the word discipline. It's the same root word. Discipline. What are the basic disciplines of a Christ follower? What are the things we need to be doing? And Are you sharing Jesus by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Amen. Father, thank you for this word today. Lord, I pray that there would not be one ounce of condemnation on this, but a serious challenge for us as believers uh, to follow you and follow your word. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.